Okay, we've uh, so we've done it today. We will get to the end of First John. We're going to be in First John chapter five, verses twenty through twenty-one. First John chapter five, verses twenty through twenty-one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. I'm going to read that first part one more time. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So in that first section there, where we, we would know Him who is true and are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is... Uh, John is, is putting the final capstone on this. Uh, we, and we know that when he talks of knowing Him, the Greek word that he's using there is for an, an experiential knowledge. Okay, we talked about this before in a different verse. It's the same word that he's using again. This is a difference, and what he's talking about in knowing Christ is a difference between head knowledge and experiencing truth and experiencing relationship with Jesus Christ. Think of it as like, um, you know, I, I know who my dad is. I can tell you facts about him. I can tell you that he served in Vietnam, that he grew up in certain areas. But when I know him, I know his mannerisms. I know the way that he loves. I know things like that, right? That's the difference in what we're talking about. We're not just talking about a head knowledge of somebody because anybody can read Scripture and recite things back to you. Um, and I can't because I, I can't memorize Scripture. Sorry. But you can do that and not know really what you're talking about. <clears throat> so, like I said, it's, he's talking of experiencing Him who is true. And this is something that we're going to come back to in a second here. But He has given us an understanding. So He has given us... This understanding must be given. It's not something that we just have. And in that, He has revealed to us, this is how we get the understanding, that He has revealed it to us in His Word, in His Spirit, in His creation, and all this in His Son, Jesus Christ, in belief in Jesus Christ. Christ is always going to be the key in everything that we talk about. Always going to be key. Because, and I don't have the verse handy, I meant to look it up and I forgot, but in Christ, we see the personality and we see the character of God. There's actually a verse in John that talks about Him being the mirror image, and I can't remember which one it was. 
But that's why it's so important to know Christ, because to know Christ is to know God. So in him who is true. This has been a theme in the epistle as we've went through it. And this is talking of truth, both of a sincerity of belief and in the object of whom you're believing on. So what, what I mean is that to, be, to believe in truth is to believe in true Jesus Christ. Not in a false Christ. You know, as, as, as we covered before, Pilate so fervently says, what, what is truth? Right? Pilate tells him, we had a brief, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but we had a brief discussion about, about a pizza analogy with that, which probably wasn't the best analogy of all time. But we talked of truth there because it affects the faith so much. <clears throat> we talked of objective truth because it corresponds with reality. Because truth is true for everyone, no matter what a person's opinion is. Objective truth is basically the, op- is the opposite of subjective truth, like we've discussed. Or truth versus opinion, if you want to put it in a, a simpler way. So, I know we've talked about this before, but I just wanted to re- kind of rehash it a little bit, because it is so important when we talk about our faith that we talk about truth in faith. You know, before... I don't know, maybe probably about 30, 40 years ago, it was pretty much an accepted statement to say that God exists. Now, not everybody may have liked that, but it was pretty much an overall accepted statement, especially in the Western world. Okay, But that's not the way it is nowadays. People will tell you now, They'll say, that's your truth. It's not my truth. That's that's a common thing now, especially with college-age kids with the things that they're learning. So people have their truths now. And this can make absolutely anything controversial when you have people with different truths walking around. Think about it with any issue that's going on today. Think about it with the transgender issue. Think about it with the abortion issue. Think about it with just simply what we're talking about right now. Does God exist? Now, there's a lot of irony, especially in the transgender issue, which eventually is going to become a problem even in western Nebraska. Eventually that will come here. You know, a person will use a subjective truth, an opinion, to say how they feel, and then you are supposed to take it as something objective, as something that is concrete and real. So truth is being malleable now, apparently. This, the conversation may sound a little strange because maybe this hasn't been an issue out here for a long time, but I remember even just going to school in Laramie um, at the University of Wyoming. And when I took an intro to philosophy philosophy, philosophy class, immediately any biblical truth was thrown out the window. And if you were a dumb college kid like me, 
what their argument sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty concrete. Now, I didn't come from a biblical background, and so that makes an issue, but I also didn't, I never thought out these arguments. I never thought out, does it really make sense what they're saying? But they will hammer these things down on, especially on young people, because if they don't know any better, they don't know how to fight back mentally. <clears throat> if we don't think about these things, we don't bother to wonder if they're really legitimate or not. And that's how you learn to analyze these things, is to think about them. Do they really make sense? You have to flex this mental muscle, and you have to pray for godly wisdom and discernment, most importantly. There is a, there is a movement, it's called postmodernism, which is really kind of what you see a lot nowadays. And this is where people come up with that, well, that's your truth, not my truth kind of thing. But they also, in some settings, will say, yeah, we believe that there is absolute truth, objective truth. We just can't know it for sure. That's what they'll say. Who can know it? Uh, when I first came to the faith, I used to follow a pastor who eventually fell into that. And he got to the point where he would say, this is what we're reading, but... This is our interpretation. We don't know if our interpretation is right. We don't know if there's any right interpretation. That's the kind of stuff that he would say. And that was when I hit the door running. Because there was no longer anything solid in the faith for him. So, think of it this way as well. If somebody will tell you, and these are all important things just because they're helping us get this mindset if somebody tells you that there's no such thing as an objective statement, a statement that's always true no matter what, is what they just told you objective? Is that always true? So, if, not, if they claim that nothing is objective, then even their statement isn't. So it's self-defeating. We know that we live in a world where things are true and things are false. And I just pray that you never run into a grandchild, a nephew, or a child that has been indoctrinated with this stuff because it's a whole nother conversation. It's a whole nother conversation. You know, because before you would have this conversation with somebody, if you were just talking about the faith, you're just trying to, you're preaching the gospel to them. You're telling them how much God loves them. These kids... These young adults, probably people my age now, have been taught that the, the initial conversation is just whether or not anything is true. You have a whole other hurdle which has been set up there. But we do these things, we talk about these things not to win arguments, but to win souls. And it's not us doing it, it's God doing this through us. There is a there's a, there's a scientist who used to be very popular. He was part of the, the New Atheist group. His name's uh, Richard Dawkins. You may or may not have heard of him. He's not really as popular anymore. But he headed a lot of this stuff in the early 2000s. And he has a quote here where he says, Religion is about turning untested belief into unshakable truth through the power of institutions, 
and the passage of time. Well, Dawkins would have done really well to test his own statement out. Because it's interesting that he would talk about time. Notice that he uses time in his statement, and this is all going to make sense in a minute here. So what I've learned as of recently is that atheists like Dawkins, young kids who are being taught by the books that they write, they used, we, they used to just claim that there was the Big Bang, everything came from nothing, and then boom, here we are. Well, that was eventually defeated by Christian arguments. So now, they have changed the argument. They have said, our universe is just one of many universes in a multiverse, and that we were just created from somebody else's universe. And that the totality of all of that is what is called now the cosmos, apparently. But all they have done is just push the argument back one step. That's all that they have done, is push the argument back one step. Because you still need a creation of the cosmos. But what is their answer? Their answer is that the cosmos that everything has come from is eternal. That it has always been. That it has no end and it has no beginning. I want you just to think about that for just a second. It has, they say it has no end and no beginning. So, if this is forward, which, yes, for you guys will be forward, it has no end going that way, right? That's what we think of when we think of eternality. But if going this way, going in the past, has no end, how could today have ever come? How could you ever get to today if it never ended in the beginning, both ways. It doesn't make any sense because today would never arrive. So their argument is self-defeating again when you just take a second to look at it and see what it means. So if their argument is self-defeating, that there had to be a beginning for our universe, for our cosmos, whatever they, whatever name you want to put on it, then we would need a creator that is timeless because time didn't exist yet. A creator that is all-powerful to create all these things out of nothing. And a creator that is all-knowing to create a universe that can exist on its own after creation. That's just another name for God. They can, say it, they can call it cosmos all they want, but it's another name for God. That's all it is. And that is an objective truth. And that is true for all people, no matter what, because it not only grounds our lives and our faith, but it grounds our very existence. The fact that we exist grounds this. Nothing would exist if that beginning was not objectively true. So I know that's kind of a little bit of a tangent there, but that is how much truth matters in our daily lives, in our faith, in how we think of things, truth is absolute and we need it. So John then says that this is the true, the true God in eternal life. John is telling us who Jesus is 
again here. John is saying that the Son of God has come, the true God, and eternal life. So because God is true, because God is objectively true, true li- eternal life is objectively true as described by Him. Not because of my words, not because of your words, not because of our interpretations. This is what God says. So God's words are objectively true. And that's where we get our description. Not the story, not a myth, not a guess. We get a description of creation where God labored and created something that the darkness could not, cannot comprehend, and will never conquer all according to God's Word. And then in objectively true words, because God's words are objectively true, we're informed, we're objectively, truly informed of the journey through His will, the chosen bloodline, that the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world would come through, the Israelites. We're told of how this would happen. And like the entrance of the king into Jerusalem, loyal subjects shouting Hosanna to the son of David, with that same fervor, God displays for us, He reveals to us in His Word, the Alpha and the Omega when Jesus is born. Emmanuel, God with us. And then Scripture finishes with... His ministry, not described, but proclaimed. And He embraces us into an everlasting covenant, an everlasting covenant of grace for the blessed that will not know that Jesus Christ is our King, but believe in Him. Believe in Him with all their heart, all their mind, and all their soul. And all of that is because God is so good. Does anybody else believe that? That God is so good because of all that? I hope so. So let's move on to the last verse here. Last verse of 1 John. And it's a very small verse. And it's something that doesn't appear to have been talked about when you just first glance at it. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So again, John addresses that church. He addresses us as little children. And this is for a myriad of reasons. For affection, he's addressing little children. For He's addressing your regeneration. Because you're little children, we are little children in the faith. They're in the family of God. He's addressing it because little children are humble, they're teachable, and they have faith in God. And because of our weakness, we need God. So we are little children. He addresses us correctly. And He tells us to keep from idols. Now it may not seem so, but this fits really well in this epistle. Because this whole epistle, He has been talking about living a relationship with God. And the enemy of that relationship with God is idolatry. 
And we all have idols at some point in our life that we have to shed. Everybody is guilty of this. So do not embrace a false god. There are dangers, a lot of dangers, no matter what the world says, there are dangers in a false Jesus Christ. Earlier in the epistle, in chapter 4, John had talked about this for a second. I just want to read it, where it was chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, where he had said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now it is already in the world. So John is telling us that to have a real relationship with God, you have to have a relationship with the God that's really there. With the God that is really there, not idolatry. So not, and back in their days, would have been maybe praying to a, an idol, you know, an actual wooden or rock, whatever kind of idol they would make. But for our days, people idolize their careers sometimes. I have gotten shocking looks every once in a while when I will tell a boss, hey, look, I don't work, I don't live to work. I work to live. I don't idolize this. I do this because I need it. But I'm a Christian first, not a railroader. Not an insurance agent. Not a cop. Fortunately, I've had quite a few careers. So that is important. Not to idolize your career. Because it's easy to do, especially when you start hitting those successful benchmarks. And that ties right into idolizing wealth. You know, Scripture says we cannot, cannot serve both mammon and God. You can easily idolize another person. I accidentally offended somebody when I said, look, you cannot idolize your spouse more than God. You cannot worship them more than God. And apparently not everyone agrees with that. But that is what Scripture says. We are not to put somebody above God. It doesn't mean you love them any less. It just means you love God that much more. So we have idols like that that we have to look out for. We have idols like holidays and traditions. Sometimes we can take those too far. It's real easy to do. You don't even notice it when it's happening. So if somebody if somebody believes in, like we've said before, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Scientology, all these things, the true God is always calling He is calling them. If somebody is an agnostic as I once was, or if somebody is an atheist, creation is calling. Every day, every time you step out your front door, every time you look at your children, God's Word is calling. The Gospel message that you hear and sometimes ignore is calling. And it's the same for the ones that we don't even like to talk about, where the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, 
other cultic deviations from what we have in the Bible, they don't have to stay like that. Truth is readily available, especially nowadays. The Bible is printed in every language. The origins of Scripture is everywhere. You can find all of this. The historicity. We have, we have an acquaintance, right, who's talking about the historicity probably right now in uh, Israel as he visits over there. So it's all there. His Word is easy to find. And when you find it, the, you'll see when you're trapped in these cults that the falseness of their words and of their errors and their actions points right to Christ if somebody is listening. So, in this epistle, John has labored to keep us, to keep us brothers and sisters grounded in Christ, to keep us grounded in truth, and in a biblical walk with God. And we owe it not to John, not to any of the apostles, but we owe it to God to keep these things that we're learning, that we're hearing, not just remembered, but keep them written on our hearts and how we operate as we go through our lives. So we, that is the end of our, our run through 1 John. Uh, I thought it was a really good epistle to go through. There is a lot of good doctrine in there. A lot of things to, to keep you on the straight and narrow when you do, when you do stray.